Amen. You can uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to continue our study through 1 Peter. I want you, if you would, to, uh, to just read with me 1 Peter 4, 3 through 7. We'll try to cover this tonight. For the time past of your life may suffice to have wrought the may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We're just going to stop right there tonight. Lord, give us understanding and ears to hear Your Word tonight and a heart to believe. This little passage, if you look at it, it's really like the Gospel almost uh, summarized. What it's, what it's speaking of is speaking of your old life versus the new life. Let me ask you here tonight, is your life different since you know Jesus? Since you've come to know the Lord? It, it better be. It absolutely will be if you really do know the Lord by faith. Uh, it, it, this, this is a comparison almost. It's a, it's a story. It's a testimony. And it's the Gospel message that old life as opposed to the new life we have in Jesus. And one, one preacher said we should not think too highly of our former life. You ever heard people share their testimony? I have before. And, and we just kind of have to watch it. Some, sometimes they almost sound like they wish they were still there. You know, they're talking about all their sin and the big things they used to do and, and all their running around in the world. And then they spend about 30 seconds talking about Jesus and what He's done for their life. We're not to think too highly of our former life. That former life is the one that didn't know Jesus. That former life is what caused our Lord to go to the cross and die. That the death that He died sacrificing for our sins. And so, in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. Verse 15, it's speaking that wonderful chapter about faith and all the different people, men and women of faith through the years. And it says that had they been mindful they would of that former life, they would have gone back to it. They could have gone back to it. In other words, those that came out of Egypt, and, and if they had thought about their old lives too much, thought about it, mindful in this sense means in a longing way, like they missed it. They might have had opportunity, it says, to go back. But we're pressing on. And that's why it says that we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith at the beginning of Hebrews 11. Because... Uh, we, we ought not think too highly of our former life. I don't care if you were in some, what the world considered, would consider gross sin and immorality, or if you were saved as a five-year-old and didn't have time to get in a lot of trouble other than robbing the cookie jar. Still, we're sinners in need of God's grace and salvation. We ought not look too fondly on that life that we had before we came to know Jesus. Amen? Now, one of the things that we're going to focus on in this passage tonight is the preaching of the Gospel brings to two results to the one who hears it and believes it. Okay, it's important that we say that to the one who believes it. Preaching of the Gospel is going to bring two uh, results to the one who believes it. First of all, they're going to, it's going to bring the blame of men. Men aren't going to understand it. They're not going to like it. 
They're going to blame you for every problem. The Christians in Nero's day were blamed for every problem. You know what I'm saying? The Christians are, uh, it brings the blame and the scorn of men. But it's also going to bring the approval of God. That belief in the Lord is going to bring the blame of men and the approval of God. So when he talks about here, for the time, for the time past of your life, he's speaking about that old man. May suffice us to have wrought the will or to work the works is what that means. When he says here the Gentiles, he's just about talking about the, the, the lost world. The world that doesn't know the Lord. Okay? It was sufficient, I guess you would say, for us to work the works of the Gentiles before we knew Jesus. That's just He's just saying that was how we were. That was just normal for us. That was normal behavior. You didn't think it weird to get up and live your life the way you lived your life before you know Jesus, knew, knew Jesus. It was normal. You looked around you to the left and right, and pretty much that's the way everybody else was living their life, at least those that you surrounded yourself with. Um, and it says when we walked, and I love the way that Peter includes himself in this. He's not someone you know on the outside looking in. He wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says when we walked in. He begins to list all these different sins here. But the key is that we didn't just do these things every now and then. That we walked in this. We walked in, in a life or a pattern. Okay, Our lifestyle. And we didn't know better and we were blinded in spiritual darkness. We didn't know anything else. We just walked in our life of sin. It doesn't mean you... I always say this. doesn't mean you were demons-possessed. It doesn't mean you did things worthy. Maybe you did. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you and I did things worthy of being put in prison. It just means that we walked uh, in, in the ways of the world, which are sinful ways. Okay? Sinful ways. And it says, for um, skipping way down, uh, <clears throat> that they think it's strange. Okay, the lost people that you used to run with, basically, that you used to hang out with. We're going to talk about all this tonight. They're looking at you and me as being strange. But I love the way Peter does this. The Holy Ghost does this. He puts it in light of future judgment. He puts it in light of eternity. It's not just uh, kind of yin yang back and forth about. You know, old life, new life, what's better? We're not doing those sins anymore. He puts it all in light. We're going to face a judge. Okay? We're going to face a judge who's ready to judge the quick and the dead. He puts it in light of eternity. And in comparison to, uh, to eternity, everything on this temporal life is nothing. It's short-lived. I think it's D.L. Moody who said uh, how, how uh, short-lived and fleeting uh, or the things of this life. He said if we were wise, we would live for God and for eternity. That's a simple truth, but it's a powerful truth. If we're wise, it's all going to pass away. And so uh, Peter puts it, or the Holy Spirit puts it, in light of eternity. And that's how I want to start this tonight. There's a great contrast between the Christianity of, of the Apostles' Day, for example, Peter's Day, and our day. And the contrast is this. It's not in what we believe or our doctrine. Okay? And not necessarily in even our devotion to the Lord. I believe there's a contrast in the sense that what these, these believers in Peter's day, for example, that everything was in light of eternity. He's speaking to a persecuted church here. The book of Hebrews, he's speaking to a persecuted church there. In the book of James, brothers, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. You read all through the Bible. 
and we read about persecution, and all these people weren't, uh, they weren't ready to throw in that they weren't going to quit. They, they kept putting, they might have been ready to, but the Word of God would encourage them. They put everything in light of eternity. And uh, it's like one pastor said, they, they believed that eternity began, had already begun in their lives. In other words, as soon as they gave their life to Jesus, their eternal life, which it has for us as well. We're passed from death to life, the Bible tells us. But it dated from the moment they received Christ into their hearts. So everything for so much of these believers was uh, not getting caught up in the things that were immediately around them. Yeah, they were suffering. They were going through great trials and tribulations. This passage even speaks of some martyrs that the Gospel was preached to before they died. But they counted it as though uh, Christ's death really was their death. And they were dead to um, this world that crucified the Lord. They were dead to that. And the Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? And so this, this group of believers in this early church, y'all, they, they believed that. They believed that. Their treasure was already there. Their heart was already there. And I have to think about myself with my house or with my, you know, the, the lifestyle I live or the, the leisure or ease or whatever. Do, do I have my treasure really built up in heaven? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, uh, Jesus Christ really was their king. It wasn't Caesar. You know what I mean? He really was their king in their day. And I'm not saying they're not believers that live that way now. I just see it more as a characteristic that they, you see it over and over again that they, they were uh, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God as they were living in this life, as they were going through temporary trials and tribulations, great trials and tribulations, but temporal in the sense that they are not going to last beyond this fleshly life. And so they kept their eyes on the Lord. And uh, they lived as though uh, lived in, in heaven, basically on this earth, and, and I'm reading a quote here, we live in the world and pay occasional visits to the unseen and eternal. Those early Christians lived in the unseen and eternal and paid periodic necessary visits into the world. That's kind of really something to think about. You know, What are you meditating on? What is your heart fixed upon? It's not so much a change of of sins and that type of thing. It's a change of heart and attitude and faith that we're setting in a longing for that. And uh, longing for that, and it's real to us, the heavenly and the eternal. We conform, he says, often to this world. They were transformed by the daily, day, daily renewing of their minds. Okay, And so it was in this light of eternity that Peter gives the admonition to these believers in his day. All right? And the admonition is this. Um, and he lists out all these, these different sins here, for example. And I want to, I want to read them just real quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. But those, uh, the sins where you see it in verse 3. Okay? Before we knew Jesus. It says, when we worked the, the works of the Gentiles... When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. That's not a, a total list of every sin that's out there or that we may have indulged in or walked in. But I do want to give a little definition of some of these. Lewdness would be unrestrained indulgence, primarily in sexual immorality. Lust, uh, 
he lists here would be gratification of unlawful appetites of any kind. Remember, we've talked about that some. It's fulfilling maybe a, a lawful appetite in an unlawful manner where the lust takes over and it's not restrained or governed in the way God has lawfully given it for man. It's fulfilling that in some unlawful way or, or it's gotten too big. It's gotten out of control and it's not restrained at all. Okay? Drunkenness, uh, and I'm paraphrasing some of these words, giving oneself over to the control of intoxicating beverages with the resulting weakening of willpower. Think about that. To resist temptation. There is a close link between drunkenness and immorality. Okay, revelries. This would be the, the banqueting and so forth. Riotous parties and late night you know, festivities kind of stuff. Drinking parties, drinking bouts which lead to debauchery and brawls. Abominable idolatries, the worship of idols with all the immorality that is associated with such uh, worship. So I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. You can look those up if you ever wanted to study them. Again, I don't think he's speaking about a, a all-inclusive list of sins here in this passage. But he is saying this is the way that an unbeliever walked and included himself in this. And it was normal. It was just the normal pattern of life. So what is the admonition that he gives? Okay, He gives here that men are, men are tormented by a, a lust. Men are tormented by a longing that only Christ can fill. It's knowing Jesus. Men are lost and they're in sin. And instead of turning to the Lord, they turn to different uh, sinful things to satisfy that. You could go out right now tonight, somebody's indulging in, in sleep or movie or drink or entertainment or friends or something to fill some kind of longing that they have in their life. And, and if we're not going to turn to Christ, then we're going to fulfill it with all of these simple things that are not of Christ. And it becomes our master. It becomes our ruler. Sin becomes our ruler. And God never intended for it to be that way. Amen? And He wants men to come instead of drinking from the fountains of this world and drinking from the fountains of these dead, dry cisterns, He says, He wants men to come drink from the fountain of living water. He says in His Word, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He has living waters that He wants to give us. And it's the only thing that's going to satisfy us. Amen? But here, here I want to get to something. And you can know it by experience. You that are older and have been walking with the Lord for any period of time, that men of the world think it's strange, don't they? They think it's strange that you know that you. I could point to anybody in here and name them. That you don't run with them to the same excess of riot. You used to, and you thought it was normal. You did it with them. You participated with them and with their their friends and so forth, and your friends, and it was just normal. You had your weeks planned and your days planned and your vacations planned and things were planned. And, and you did things very much, uh, very much uh, in a similar way. All right? And I just want to read this one verse. Uh, you, can, you can turn with me and, and we'll go back to, to chapter 4, 1 Peter. Romans 8, verse 5. Now this is the two, the two different lives. This is the life we had before Jesus as compared to the one we have in Christ. For they that are after the flesh... Do what? Do mind the things of the flesh. It's very simple. But it's very true. You cannot take somebody that doesn't know Jesus 
and just plant them in church and get them to join the choir and become an usher and stop, tell them to stop cussing and so forth and things like that and think everything's going to be fine. They're of a different nature. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There's two different lives. Two completely different lives. There's no overlap. There's no happy medium. There's no, well, I'm going to try to do both of them. You can try it, but you won't succeed. There's one or the other. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, are going to mind the things of the Spirit. Now, it's important, y'all. They know your friends, okay? And I don't know what interaction you've had. Maybe you got saved as a child, and so this, this may not be as big a part of your testimony as it would be for others, as it would be for mine, for example. But those friends that you see, that you knew BC, I call it, before Christ, my life before Jesus, and your life before Jesus, they don't get it. They, they think you're from Mars. They don't understand it. They're like, what happened to my friend? He's so different. I don't get it. You know, and, and, and they may quickly learn the things that we renounce. They'll learn the things as a believer. I don't drink anymore. So-and-so, Mike, a good friend of mine. I don't drink anymore, Mike. I don't do this anymore, Mike. I don't curse. I don't watch those movies anymore. I don't do this, this, and this anymore. But it's also important, y'all, that they know what we do have. Not only that we quit. I can't drink anymore. can't go to this anymore. I don't do that anymore because I'm a Christian. I don't do this, this, and this. And the list is very long. You know, I don't do any of these things anymore. And if that's all they see, that's not going to be an appealing testimony to them. They also need to know, can I, tell you, can I tell you what I found? Can I tell you what's so much better than what we used to do on Friday nights and Saturday nights and so forth? Can I tell you what's so much better than that life? And waking up the next day feeling sick and waking up, you know what I mean? Can I tell you what's so much better than that life? Can I tell you about Jesus? That's important, right? Both are part of our testimonies. But it's not just enough to say, well, I renounce this, I renounce that, I renounce that. We do need to do those things. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That means you're coming out against them in a very clear fashion. We're against abortion. We're against homosexuality. Because God's Word is. Okay, We do need to do that. But we also need to bring that testimony of what we have in Christ. Because the part of the reason they look at as strange not understanding why we don't live the way we lived before we knew Jesus because they don't see Jesus. They don't have Him lifted up in front of them to where they're, they're drawn to Him, to where there's an appeal that they can be forgiven and cleansed and rescued and so forth. So they, they need to know that. And uh, you know, when Paul was sharing the Gospel, I believe it was Felix with, with uh, Felix. He was in prison in Caesarea. And he's sharing the Gospel with them. And, and Felix is like, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. You're crazy. And he says, I'm not crazy, Felix. You know, I'm not crazy. Let me tell you about Jesus. In other words, that's the way it looks to men sometimes. They think we're insane. Or they don't like it. They want, and, and that's normal. It says right, this was no different in Peter's day. They think it's strange. Every believer is going to... Uh, find that response. Remember, believing the Gospel is going to bring the, the reproof of men or the hatred of men, the blame of men. It's going to bring the approval of God. And so they speak 
evil of you. When really, they're the ones who are acting strangely, right? When the light bulb comes on for us and we come to know Jesus, now we look and say, why in the world did I used to stay so long in that life? What was I fighting so much to give my life to Jesus? There was no sacrifice at all. It was a blessing. He took all my sin and gave me eternal life. I was the one acting strange. Why did I live that way? I wasn't created to live that way. Why did I act that way? Why did I persist in fighting to keep that sinful lifestyle for so long when the Lord was ready to bring me out of that? Now that we have Jesus and we're, have, we're bought by His blood, we look at that life and we think it's strange and that they're strange to still live in that way. You know, Why won't they give their life to Jesus? I share the Gospel with them. We have to remember what it was like to, to be there. And so the, the Lord in His Word here brings a couple of uh, considerations to mind for the sinner. And let's look at this. It says, these people that think it's strange and so forth. Uh, verse 5, who shall give account? This is speaking of the lost men. All right, Verse 5, who shall give account to him, that's the Lord, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. This kind of sobers it up real quickly. Like I said, forget the good times, the movies, and all, all that stuff before we knew the Lord. They're going to give account. That means they're going to give a reason. And I can almost picture somebody that this would have been me before I knew the Lord, but let's say, what, what judgment are these people going to go to? If a lost man is going to go to one judgment, the great white throne judgment, it's not a happy place to be. It's not a pleasant place to be. It's going to be where those that died without Christ, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they died not having their sins forgiven when they could have, but they died bearing the full weight of their sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. It's a horrible place they're going to be sentenced to at that time. They'll be sentenced to eternity in a lake of fire. And so, but they individually, I believe, these, these people that died without Christ, and the Bible says in Romans 1, so that they are without excuse. And it's almost like, but the word, they, they, it says they'll give an account. And I almost picture them, what are they going to say? You understand what I mean? It's almost like they're just going to be dumbfounded. This Lord in all of His glory and, and, and the, the throne and His might and His majesty and all the truth of it. They know it's true. Somebody shared the Gospel with them. And even their conscience when they were created was a healthy conscience originally. And even creation reveals this eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse if they had but sought for the Lord and responded to the little bit of light they had been given, He would have given them more light and brought them to Christ. It's their fault that they're lost, not God's fault that they're lost. It's not their environment that they grew up in or their upbringing. Obviously, some people have a lot more light and a lot more Christianity around them. I'm not going to deny that. But every man is going to give an account. So these are the great white throne judgment. And the Lord's going to... I don't know what He's going to say, but they're going to be condemned. Nobody there is saved and nobody's going to be saved after this judgment. Every single person died lost and is going to face the consequences of that rejection of Christ. They died in unbelief. And they'll go to, to the lake of fire and He'll say, give an account. Give a reasoning. And I just picture them, they, what can they say? They'll just be dumbfounded. It's not going to be a, a happy thing. And so it's a very sobering thought. And this is what Peter's doing. He says, they, they make fun of you and think it's strange and so forth. You can handle it. You know what I mean? It's okay. You and I can handle 
being mocked and ridiculed a little bit. It goes with the territory. It goes with being a believer. It goes with knowing Jesus. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. If we're of the world, the world would love His own, Jesus said. But because we're not of the world, but He's called us out of the world, therefore, Jesus said, the world hates you. Hates you. Okay? So just get, get over it, in other words. I know we, the Lord, we need the Lord to strengthen us. I'm not making fun, but that's part of it. Go on. It's worth it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep walking with the Lord. They are going to give an account for themselves before God Almighty who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. And you see how it says ready? Like I said earlier, the, these believers were living in light of eternity as though it was right now. He's ready right now to judge the quick and the dead. This is sooner than they think. Now we know when the great, great white throne judge is coming, but the point is, they're give, going to give an account. Amen? They're going to give an account. And, and really, at their, at their judgment, it's also going to validate that we were right. I mean, the people that they were ridiculing, not that we long for that so much, but it is they're going to know at that time that Peter was right. All the people that Peter witnessed to and that they, don't, they ridicule and mock him. You understand what I'm saying? Or Alberta or Dalen, any of us. This, I believe they're going to have full remembrance of that. And the people that brought them the gospel and that they made fun of in light of and so forth. And God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're not going to have anything to say. Now, there's a, a motivation almost. Almost like a motivation to live for God. And again, it's in light of eternity. Now let's look at this verse right here. It could be a little puzzling, but again, I don't think it has to be. Everybody I studied... Uh, pretty much said the same thing. For for this cause, verse 6, was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. This, I believe, is, is speaking of from everybody that I studied. It doesn't mean the Gospel is preached to dead people. It was preached to people that once that are now dead that once were living. Okay? In other words, I believe, and most of the Bible scholars that I've studied, all of them, believe that this was speaking of people, they believe, of martyrs that had died. And so it was preached, the gospel was preached to them. They're dead now. They were living. They were judged according to the flesh, maybe because of Christianity was illegal or whatever. It was a physical, literal, fleshly judgment that they, their bodies were taken. Of course, God had to allow it. But. It says they were judged according to the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And so, uh, again, eternity puts it all in perspective. I guess if there's one real thought we have tonight, or from this passage that I would like to take away from it, is, is to keep everything in light of eternity. Works hard. The boss takes advantage of you. People are, are cruel. People make fun of you because of your Christianity. You lost a lot of friends, if not all of your friends, when you gave your life to Jesus. And things on the college campuses are getting worse and worse and more, much more hostile to Christianity. The government, the laws that are passed, it's all looking worse. We have to keep it all in light of eternity. They're the ones who are going to give an account to God. I'm passed from death to life. There's therefore now no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Alright? And so, my sins are forgiven. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I am born again. And so are you if you've given your life to Jesus. So here's the call. He says right here, 
Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And this is the verse we're going to close with tonight. And so, the end of all things. In, in Peter's day, they were right literally. We have, it's kind of interesting to put this in perspective historically. All right? And in Peter's day, the end of the Jewish state was really at hand. The, the, the Roman Empire and everything, the temple was getting ready to be burned. You know what I'm saying? That was standing in, it was very soon, it was right on the heels of this. And they were going to sort of be disbanded and dispersed. And uh, so there are a lot of things just for them that were impending right at that moment. But also, the, the Bible tells us even in Peter's day and Paul's day, that we're living in the last times. Hereby we know it's the last days. Now that's written 2,000 years ago. So the end of all things is at hand. Again, he's putting it in the light of eternity. This is all winding down. You know, it's like a, a, a yo-yo that's not going up and down anymore. It's just going to go down in the end and, and stop, you know, or a spinning top or something. You're spinning a basketball on your finger and you don't touch it again. Finally, it's winding down. It's wobbling. It's not going to keep going. It's about to fall. And so... The apostles were looking and encouraging us as believers and the believers of their day uh, not to look at this with fear. Don't look at this with dread. Keep your eyes on the Lord. It's going to come to pass, but it's going to come to pass like God says it's going to come to pass. And we're on the winning side. We're, we're, we're in Christ's victory. We're in the Lord's hands. And so uh, these things that are going to crumble and fall, they're going to crumble and fall, but that doesn't affect us. It might affect some momentary pleasures or comforts. If our economy crashed in this country, or if our country was taken over by some hostile enemies, yeah, that would affect our lives, but it wouldn't affect it forever. It's not going to take you away from Jesus. You know, Paul said, I was in prison, but the Word of God was not bound. He was still worshiping the Lord in prison. Nothing suffered in his walk with God. He said, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be abased. I have a lot of things, physical things and goods and a lot of money and food. I've learned to, I've experienced what it's like to have none of those things. And, and yet, in all these things, I've learned to be content because I have Jesus. There's a reason that we go through trials and tribulation. It's to bring us to a point like that to where we really get it and we really see it and understand it. Wouldn't it be better if we'd start laying a hold of that now before everything's ripped from our hands maybe. Just start getting that now. Getting an eternal mindset now with the Lord. Turn with me. I'm going to read one more passage and then uh, before we close. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Now this is speaking uh, future. Okay? Future, future for us as well. Hebrews 12, 26 to the end of the chapter whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Now the first time when he says he shook, past tense, he's talking about when the Lord appeared on the mountain and, and you know Moses had gone up to the mountain and the Lord said, put a boundary around and cause the people to come near, but not too close. And the Lord spoke out of the mountain and it, people were scared to death. Moses wasn't scared. He went up right in the cloud and met with the Lord. But that's what it's talking about. The mountain shook. He said that, that happened in the past, but in the future, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this 
word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things. Look what's going to be removed by the Lord in the end times. The removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us as the believer have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It's almost identical to what we're talking about. He's putting it in light of eternity. There's going to be a shaking. It's going to be shaken like this world's never seen. And it's going to be shaken maybe the tribulation period and maybe the refining of the new, you know, the, the earth and so forth. It's going to be changed. But nothing's going to be shaken that God doesn't want to shake. Then the things that are shaken are things He wants to fall away and crumble. And everything left standing when the dust settles is going to be what God wants. It's going to be Jesus, His church, His body, okay, His kingdom that's an everlasting kingdom and so forth. And all the other stuff's just going to be rubble. And it's going to be crumbled down. That's the other things that people are hanging on to. And unbelievers are clinging to. And it's going to be taken. And a lot of believers, maybe at times in our life, we can be clinging to it. God's saying, let go of that. Okay? Let go of that. And He says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom. That's what we're going to get. Which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire again puts it in light of eternity and that's what we want to do uh, tonight and in this passage uh, the time that we're living in is similar the time we're living in is actually not that different from the time that peter lived in it's the church age it's the, it's after the 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 death of burial and the resurrection of jesus and the day of pentecost and we're living they were living in a very worldly government and system the roman empire in that day we're living in the same type of thing. It's really not that different. You know, the uh, technical you know, technology is a lot different, but the world and the morals and so forth are really not. So this is speaking totally to us. Two last admonitions that are given. All right. For the end of all things is at hand. First Peter four seven. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. All right. We're going to continue this next week. But the two two admonitions given here for the believers. Be sober. That means uh, sober-minded. It means soundly sincere. So there's no hypocrisy. Be sober. And the author I was studying said, let there be a noble self-restraint in respect to any lust. And let there be a self-control, a noble self-control. In other words, there's a serious-mindedness about it. It's not just all a big circus. I'm not saying that there's not joy in the Lord. Okay, there is a great joy, and it only comes from the Lord. But we are saying we understand the times in which we live. We take it seriously. We take it serious in light of eternity. We take it serious in the sense that our calling is to reconcile men to God. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation, so I'm taking that seriously. My giving, my finance, you know, everything. I'm taking it in light of my calling as a believer, in the light of the future that's coming and the judgments and so forth. We put it all in light of the Lord. Let there be no entanglement on the part of the soldiers of the Lord with the affairs of this world. And then what Paul said, that a soldier is not to, and we're soldiers of the Lord as believers here, is not to entangle himself with the affairs of this life or this world, that he may please the one who called him to be a soldier. We have a calling. 
And so if I'm all bound up in the cares of this world and my commanding officer is calling me to do something and I'm really kind of giving him halfway my attention or none of my attention, I'm a soldier, but I'm not really, I'm entangled with other things. I missed it. I missed the call. I missed what I was called to do. And I'm to please, and you and I are to please the one who called us to be soldiers. Amen. That we may be ready. And that's why he says, watch under prayer. Okay, watch under prayer. There's a looking, there's a watching. It's like we're looking out the window. We're not literally doing this, but we're looking out the window for the Lord to come. And people say, what are you looking at? We're not literally doing that, but in our lives. What are you preoccupied with? I'm occupied with Jesus. I'm occupied with the Word of God and the future that He says is coming. They don't understand it. It's foreign to them. They don't, don't get it, nor, nor can they get it until they come to know Christ. So, but we're looking for His coming. We're listening for His voice. We're listening for the least little prompting that He gives us to witness to somebody or give to something or pray. And all of it's in light. Hey, there's a coming kingdom. I've received a kingdom that cannot be moved. It's coming soon. We're 2,000 years closer than Peter was. Right? We're 2,000 years closer than Peter was. And we're to be watching. Watch unto prayer. There is a way to pray and watch. He's not just saying pray. But the Bible says, you know when Jesus in the garden says, watch with me and pray. Couldn't you watch one hour? Couldn't you pray one hour? He's kind of using those together. Because we're praying and we're watching. We're praying according to the Word of God and the will of God. What we know is coming. And we're watching for it to come. So we're ready. We're not taken off guard. And you know the, the, the parable that's given of the virgins you know, that weren't ready when the, the bridegroom came in the late hour of the night. They weren't prepared. But we need to be those that are ready and have our lamps burning and be prepared for that. And that's all that um, God's really given for me for this tonight. Everybody else around us is sleeping. The whole world is sleeping in darkness. And we're not. Don't sleep with the world, okay? I'm not saying you're not born again. You're not going to heaven. If you're born again, you're born again. But if you are born again, we need to be alert. Alert spiritually. We need to understand the times in which we're living. We need to understand it in light of eternity. Their, the fate of lost men and our fate as well that causes us not to be overcome with fear. It also gives us a great compassion for people that, are, that do have you know, that, that future judgment staring them in the face. And they don't even know it. It ought to give us a great compassion. And so we want our, we want our posture to be that of that we're looking and we're waiting and we're praying. Spend time in prayer. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in earnest prayer to the Lord. And spend more time when you get up off your knees and you're through praying, you're going about your daily business, meditating and thinking on the Lord. Seeing things in light of eternity. Seeing things in light of the Bible and in Scripture. Seeing souls, not just nice guy, mean guy, you know, something like nice lady, mean lady, whatever. See them as a soul that needs Christ and they're going to give an account to Him that judges the quick and the dead. The judge is ready. He's ready now. He's holding off because He's patient. But He's ready to judge the quick and the dead. And we need to have that compassion. I need to have that compassion. So I'm going to close with that. And let's just uh, make it simple tonight as, as we pray that God, before you leave, you'll take a few minutes to ask God to give you an eternal mindset, an eternal uh, heart, not only for, for our future that is so blessed, but for the future of men around us that don't know Jesus. And that's our responsibility to at least bring them 
the gospel. Amen. We can't save them, but, but we can bring them that truth.